a science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they felt And I just thought, well, it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Chris Gunter. It was recorded as part of the Atlanta Science Festival in March 2015 at the New American Shakespeare Tavern in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, wow. So my story starts with a date, actually. I was on a date uh, with a local professor who specializes in making prosthetics. And I thought this was pretty cool for a number of reasons. The first one is that I'm a molecularist by training, and so even though I got into science to help people, anything that my colleagues and I discover, it takes quite some time for that to actually get into the to helping people. So he was so much closer between what he did and then applying what he did that I found that a lot of fun. The second part is I actually wear a prosthetic. And so I thought, you know, there's always this moment in a new relationship or friendship where we have to have that kind of awkward conversation about what it is and why I have it and that kind of thing. So I thought, hey, maybe it'll be easier with this guy because he deals with that all the time, right? So uh, we were just talking. We hadn't reached that moment yet. We were just talking about what he did and what I did and that sort of thing. And at some point he said, you know, I find it really fascinating because people who have bigger losses, they lose for a whole limb or something, for example, they seem to deal with it better psychologically than people who lose something smaller because those people, for some reason, seem to fixate more on what is missing. And I just, you know, someone says something sometimes and you know it's true here in your heart as opposed to in your head. And so he said that and I think I was just kind of staring at him like, wow. And then I started to get all verklempt and it turns out that's not good on a first date. So as it turns out, actually, that was our only date. So that's how it goes. So. So uh, my prosthetic is actually a wig, so I've worn it um, since I was in elementary school, believe it or not. So I have what appears to be a rare hair loss disorder. My parents first noticed it when I was about eight or nine, um, and my hair actually looked like it has uh, stripes, and it. it was variegated, really small stripes. It looked kind of like zebra grass, if you grow that. Um, and so they wasn't sure, they weren't sure what it was, and then my hair began to thin and, and, and fall out. And so they thought I had a disease called manilothrix, which is where the hair follicle grows and then constricts for some period of time and then grows, and so it produces what looks like stripes in the hair, and the thinner parts have less pigment and they are more fragile because they're half the size, so they break. And indeed, when I was a teenager, I shed lots of hair, I was always clogged in drains and stuff. Um, but then also the hair um, fell off my arms and legs and my eyebrows. And so they thought maybe I had a disease called alopecia, which is when your immune system actually attacks your hair follicles all over. So I've had lots of treatments for that and none of those have worked. So, so now no one knows what I have. I appear to have what we call in genetics a rare disease. Um, so uh, I, like this man said, tended to fixate on what was missing. I didn't handle this very well with teenage angst. Um, and so uh, I decided to start wearing a wig because I was tired of people pointing at me and laughing and all that kind of stuff. When I was in sixth grade, I made the decision to get a wig and get braces in the same month. It was awesome. <laughs> so, so uh, and I distinctly remember our elementary school went through seventh grade, and in seventh grade there were a lot of bullies, as I'm sure there were in every class above you all. Um, and so they actually, the day that I came in with this wig, they um, walk, uh, got out for lunch before us, and they walked by our class in a number of different waves, 
And they actually, in groups, stood in the doorway and were laughing and pointing until the teacher finally closed the door. And then there was one of those thin, narrow windows there. And they stood in the window and were laughing and pointing at me. And then after school, one of the guys chased me around and pulled it off my head. And yeah, it was pretty horrible <laughs> all around. And so um, that led me to say, I am never going to have kids. I'm never going to pass this on to anyone else. I'm never going to make anyone else suffer like this. Blah, 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 teenagerhood, right? And I also decided that I was going to be a scientist and I was going to fix this. And so in 11th grade, I actually did a science project where, thanks to the CDC, I did mass spectrometry of hair to the chemist, that's right, um, and looked for differences in trace minerals between normal and my hair. And then next year, I actually won the Georgia State Science Fair in 12th grade with a project on two-dimensional gel electrophoresis of hair, trying to look for different proteins between normal and my hair, which was pretty awesome because when you win the State Science Fair, you get an expenses-paid trip to the International Science Fair to represent Georgia. And the year before, it was in Puerto Rico, and I was like, this is going to be awesome. And in my year, it was in Knoxville. Tennessee. So I got a plane trip. You know, it's 20 minutes door to door from here to Knoxville. So then I went on to college and to graduate school and, and here in Atlanta. And by the time I was done with graduate school, I knew four things for sure. The first one was that I had discovered red hair and that I was never going back. It's always going to be red from now on. The second thing was that I was actually done with Atlanta. I had lived here almost my whole life. It was a small town. I wanted to see bigger pastures. I wanted out. I was done. The third thing was that I, I loved science, but I didn't want to be an academic. I didn't want to be a professor. I didn't want to be what we call a PI, a principal investigator. That's not what I liked about science. I really wanted to explore lots of different areas of genetics. And the fourth thing was, was I was actually kind of starting to think I did want to be a mom. I wanted to have kids. And I had met a lovely man at the end of graduate school, and we um, got married, and he moved to Cleveland with me. That is love. Sorry, Ari, <laughs> for my postdoc. Um, and then we ended up in Washington, D.C., and as Aaron said, I ended up working for the journal Nature, which was an amazing job, and I got to work with all of genetics, which is what I wanted to do. Um, and we had a house in the suburbs, and um, things were going really well. I became the head of the office, and then um, I got pregnant. And when I was pregnant, actually, my hair started growing back in a lot, and it was really thick and curly. It was very cute. And so, you know, for the first time in a long time, I started to think that things were going pretty well, and, and this, was, this was going well. So I was in the eighth month of pregnancy, and we had decided we would convert one of the bedrooms into the nursery. And so it was one weekend, and um, it was time to, you know, eight months, it's time to get that done. And so um, my husband was going out, and he was going to go out and mow the yard. And I said, well, I'm going to start with this big bulletin board that's in there. I'm going to take, it was his, and I'm, I'm going to take all your stuff down and put it in a box. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever, I'll be back, and I'm going to mow the lawn. So I went in and started taking all these things off the bulletin board, souvenirs and mail and all that kind of stuff, and had this big box. And there's this one binder clip that was holding a whole bunch of envelopes together. And so I remember reaching up and, and pulling that down and kind of, you know, flipping the back to front as I was taking it down. And in the very back, there was this envelope, and it was handwritten. And it was addressed to my husband, and it was only a few weeks old. And I remember thinking, that's kind of weird because it's not his birthday or anything. Like, I guess I missed that. That's whatever. School. Um, and then, although I was trying to be very careful with all this, as I pulled the binder clip off, a whole bunch of the envelopes sprang open and all their contents came out. So bills and everything came out. And out of this one came a lock of hair, which was blonde, which is not my color, and a note. And the note said, I wanted you to have this to remember us by. And I remember looking at that and, you know, as a scientist, you can understand the physiological reaction between when your vision tunnels and all you can hear is your blood pounding in your ears. And until you get in that situation, you just really don't know what it's like and what you're going to do. 
And somehow my mind kicked in, and what I did was start trying to figure out the probabilities of this happening. So let's see. There's a probability of having an affair while I'm pregnant times the probability of her choosing to send him a card that had hair in it versus, I don't know, like photos or toenail clippings or whatever, times the probability of me being the one to actually take this off the board, which I guess is only 50-50, times the probability of all this, these envelopes springing open and this stuff falling out and me holding this, which, you know, is probably a pretty small probability, and yet there I was. And I just remember looking at that and thinking, really, this is how I find out through hair? Are you, are you kidding? <laughs> like, that's what? And, and I just remember feeling so broken then, like this hair thing, like I was never going to be able to escape it, right? It was always going to find some way to come back and remind me that I wasn't like everybody else, that I wasn't normal, right? So at some point, you just have to accept that, right? That you're not normal. So I went on, and, and none of us are, right? So I went on, uh, I got divorced a few years later, um, and now live, moved back to Atlanta, which is so big now, I have to have Google Maps to get around, right? <laughs> um, and I'm now very honored to be a professor at Emory University and, and working with children's healthcare, and, and now about to start my own research program in a small area of autism genetics, so doing everything I thought I wouldn't do. Um, and my son and I joined the neighborhood pool, and I actually, you know, you don't wear your wig when you go to the neighborhood pool because you don't want to ruin it, so I put on a bandana, I tie it on, and I'm used to all his little friends coming over and saying to me, where's your red hair gone? And I say, well, you know, it's, that's my fake hair, I wear that because I want to look pretty, but now I don't really need it. And they're like, oh, okay, and they go off on their merry way, and, you know, <laughs> it's all fine, it's all good. Um, and he goes to a local elementary school just like I did, and, and then everybody tells me as a stressed-out single mom that I should really have a nanny pick him up because, you know, go home, take him home, start supper. But I refuse to do that because that's the best part of my day when I go and pick him up, and when he comes around the corner, I'm sitting in the little tiny cafeteria tables, and he comes around the corner, and we see each other, and that's, that's the best part of my day. And so uh, I went and picked him up last year in October, and it was one of those, you know, beautiful autumn summer days where the sun is at a low angle and everything looks amazing and beautiful. And he was walking down the steps right in front of me, and as he was walking down, I suddenly looked at the back of his hair and realized that it was variegated, and it looked like zebra grass, just like mine had. And then he turned around to say something to me right then, and I noticed that his eyebrows were starting to thin. And I just thought, oh my God. What have I done, right? I can't even, this is like what I feared since I was a teenager. Like, what was I thinking, right? I just can't even imagine. And then my fierce mama bear kicked in. If you have kids, you might relate to this. And given everything I've been through, mine is pretty well developed. And she leaned into my head, and she only said two words, and they were, fuck that. She said, oh, hell no, this is not going to happen. Um, I actually know people, and this is what we do for a living. We actually sequence through genomes, and we look for variants in those genomes that cause rare disease. I just led a group of scientists that published a paper on that in Nature. That's what we did was set guidelines for that. That's how we roll, y'all, okay? <laughs> and here we are. And now, here, oh my God, it appears I have rare disease and I've passed it on and so I called a couple of friends and said what do I do what do I need to do to to study this and they said you know you need to get blood from people so I called my ex-husband and said I need blood from you haha ha. no it's not called monthly child support I need actual blood yes funny I called my parents and said I need blood from you that's great of course and I waited a few days till I calmed down and I prepared this really affirming speech and I went into my son's room at bedtime because it's this magical time when you can talk about all kind of stuff and so 
I started in with this speech and I said, honey, I, I just want to let you know I've noticed this pattern in your hair. I'm, I'm kind of afraid that you're going to go through a lot of the same things that I went through, but don't worry, I'm going to be here. We're going to go see doctors all over. I don't care where they are. We'll go to the best people. We will figure this out together. And, um, you know, you and I talk a lot about how nobody's really normal and everybody is dealing with something, so you need to have compassion for them. And you and I, son, we just have something that everybody can see. It's on the outside. But, you know, everybody's dealing with something and it'll be fine. And I'm really proud of myself for this affirming speech. <laughs> and I pause because he's looking at me kind of annoyed like this. And I, I say, is everything okay, bud? And he goes, mom, whatever. I'm a boy. I'll just shave my head. It's fine. <laughs> So, uh, so in the meantime, I'll um, continue looking through our genomes to try and figure out their rare disease, and, and I'll also just tie a bandana on my head and we'll go to the pool and it'll be great. Thank you. That was Chris Gunter. Chris is a human geneticist by training and a science communicator by choice. She earned her PhD at Emory University and then moved up and down the East Coast, ending up as a senior editor at the journal Nature. Currently, she serves as the associate director for research for the Marcus Autism Center, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and as an associate professor in pediatrics for the Emory University School of Medicine. If she had any spare time, she would probably garden or bake. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Avalith. Additional love from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the New American Shakespeare Tavern for hosting the show, to the Atlanta Science Festival for being amazing partners, and to Spring for springing forth for a week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>